From Britain to the Boca Chile, from Lamy to La Push, and from the lordly Salduck to lovely Duckabush, from Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine. Climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for joining me today for episode 88, The Gem of the Nooksack. From about the 3rd millennium BCE to around 100 CE, local Native American bands lived in the region that is now Ferndale on a seasonal basis because it was located along a trail crossing from Semiamu to Bellingham Bay and the area had an abundance of food. The Semiamu, Nooksack Indian Tribe, and Lummi Nation used the present-day Tenant Lake, also known as Salatsits, as their traditional fishing and hunting grounds. This small lake, which was partially fed by an underground spring, never completely froze over, giving ducks and other waterfowl a reliable wintering area. The river crossing near the heart of modern Ferndale was called Titusem, which means above us, and is a Lummi name, possibly denoting the farthest the Lummi nation ventured upriver. According to tribal elders, a fishing weir for the Nooksack Indian tribe was located here as recently as 1870. At the point on the river when travelers changed from shovel-nosed river canoes to high-bow saltwater canoes, there was an Indian smokehouse and a house used by elk hunters and those traveling to Bellingham Bay. A Lummi village on the nearby grassland on the east bank of this area offered a remote location shielded from invasions by the Haida people to the north, as well as being a habitat for camas and wild carrot. Native numbers in the area had drastically decreased by 1857 as a result of Haida attacks and additional illness fatalities. The Semiamu were down to roughly 100, and the Lummi Nation was counted at being between only 500 and 600. There were 900 Lummi, Nooksack, and Samish people living together in 1864. The fact that many of future Ferndale settlers married into local native tribes revealed both the lack of white women pioneers and the first people's want to associate with the newly arriving immigrants. John A. Tennant and his wife Clara, a niece of Lummi Chief Chowitsit, some accounts refer to her as the chief's daughter, relocated to the region in 1859 from Seaholm. The Lower Nooksack was their new home thanks to Clara's treaty allotment, which was located one mile southeast of present-day Ferndale. With his Lummi nation-born wife Louise, John Plaster arrived in 1860. Plaster also served as a probate judge. He was hired by Phoebe Judson, known as the Mother of Linden, to clear the Nooksack River's big jam near Ferndale. Following his arrival from Seaholm in 1873, Billy Clark constructed an alder hut on the west side of the Nooksack River, approximately 200 feet south of the existing bridge, where he and his wife, Cecilia Chinike, a Semiamu chief's daughter, lived for almost a decade. He began operating a canoe ferry across the Nooksack in 1875, and this location came to be known as Clark's Crossing, which has also variously been known as Clark's Ferry, Clark's Crossing, and Billy Clark's Ferry. Ferndale was established under the usual conditions, which involved gold, coal, and lumber. Prospector John Tennant, who was discouraged, left the 1849 gold rush in California and headed up north, arriving in Seaholm in 1856. When the Whatcom Trail to the Fraser River opened and up to 10,000 eager prospectors gathered in anticipation of the prospect of even more gold, he began by surveying the coal mines there before becoming the Whatcom County Sheriff. Tennant decided to look for his future in the region north of Bellingham Bay rather than continue prospecting for gold because of the region's potential for horticulture. 
After learning about the Nooksack Valley's fertile terrain, many prospectors who had crossed the border to continue their search for gold stayed in the region after the Fraser River Gold Rush was through. They established ranches and farms, cleared the land, and staked their own homestead claims. The only practical means of transportation for settlers at the time was via the river, and in the lower Nooksack River, a succession of log jams obstructed and frustrated early settlers' attempts to proceed north. The Big Jam was the name given to the biggest of three log jams in the vicinity. The Big Jam appeared more like a forest, and it extended downriver for nearly another mile, starting about a mile below where modern-day Ferndale is now. It had been there for so long that the vast tangle of cut and fallen timber had grown its own grove of trees, extending from bank to opposing bank. The trail on its east side became the preferred route as a result of the Big Jam's requirement for an overland portage. Due to their deviations, early settlers like John Tennant discovered the plains and fertile riverine terrain of this region. As a result of this, many of them started to stay and establish roots during the 1860s and 1870s. With the collapse of coal mining in Seaholm in 1877 and the destruction of the Reuter Sawmill on Bellingham Bay, the combined population of Seaholm, Whatcom, and Bellingham fell from 3,000 to less than 100 in a short period of time, quite the boom and bust if you ask me. The river was given clear access all the way up to Linden when the Big Jam was cleared in early 1877. After more than four years of opposition to the endeavor and the number of people entering the Nooksack Valley increased steadily. The idea of farming and dairying up north drew in large numbers of the new immigrants, many of whom were unemployed coal miners and sawmill workers looking for a fresh means to support their families and continue towards achieving their vision of the American dream. Infuriated by having their settlement named after a significant pediment to river navigation, the local residents objected when county commissioners formed the voting precinct of JAM on the 3rd of August, 1874. Residents first pleaded with Congress in 1873 and again in 1875 for money to end the impasse, but it was to no avail. Every season's flow of logs contributed to the expansion of the Big Jam, and more people were migrating north as well, doing their fair share to contribute to the growing problem. Phoebe Judson, a pioneer and the mother of Linden, rallied the community by collecting money through subscriptions all throughout the county in 1876 after personally experiencing the hardships of passage during her family's two-day journey from Bellingham Bay to Linden in 1870. With assistance from their neighbors, her husband had successfully cleared the upper jam close to their homestead, which provided the impetus for clearing the big jam, which was located further south. By offering less than half of what was anticipated to be needed to break the traffic gridlock, John Plaster effectively funded this first significant local undertaking. The Big Jam was reported to have been totally cleared by the 20th of February, 1877, thanks to assistance from other locals and a heavy amount of autumn rain. Shortly thereafter, the residents of the Upper Nooksack decided to break up the Little Jam beneath Linden on their own. The Nooksack was about to enter the steamboat era, and Ferndale's inhabitants came together for the community's benefit in the first of many occasions that would follow. The clearing of the jams was made possible by a citizenry committed to the Nooksack's future. The community's first schoolteacher, Alice Eldridge, gave Ferndale its name around two years before the big jam was cleared. Alice resided at the residence of M.T. Taz, whose daughter Emily related the following incident to Ferndale novelist P.R. Jeffcott in 1948. One evening, Alice was sitting at the table writing a letter to her father when she paused and asked her mother, How shall I head this letter? I have no idea where I am. After giving it some thought, Alice said, Oh, I see. I'll call it Ferndale since there are so many ferns surrounding the schoolhouse. 
I've got to say, over the course of doing this podcast, I've done a lot of town history so far, with a lot more coming up, and this has got to be one of the coolest ways a town in the Evergreen State has got its name. Anyways, on the 25th of June, 1875, the Bellingham Bay Mail published the first use of the term under the heading Ho for Ferndale, the most recent road project. The new name became official in 1876. Billy Clark's homestead was situated in the middle of what would eventually become the town of Ferndale, whereas John Tennant's property on the lake, a land allotment on the newly established Lummi Nation Reservation made possible by his wife, Clara, was nearly one mile to the southeast. Clark found the spot where he would settle upriver on the opposing side in 1873 while working on John Tennant's farm. Billy Clark applied for his ferry license in 1875 in anticipation of the revenue the road project at Semiyamu, which started that spring, would bring in. Even though development was gradual and Bellingham Bay's access road wasn't completely built until the middle of the 1880s, Clark continued to run a respectable business while his daughters assisted in taking customers across the river in the family's shovel-nosed canoe. But when Clark tried to negotiate a final settlement in the early 1880s, he found that his claim to the land had been invalidated. Clark had previously been required to give up his American citizenship and become a British subject in order to work for the Hudson's Bay Company in Fort Langley, British Columbia. This prevented him from obtaining title to the property where he had lived, raised a family, and operated a business for nearly a decade. This must have been quite the blow for the gentleman who put countless hours into the property. Darius Rogers was granted a United States patent on the land on the 20th of November, 1882. Rogers may have taken advantage of the circumstance or may have paid Clark back for taking ownership. Either way, he became the heir apparent to Ferndale. By 1879, Darius Rogers and his brother Ambrose had built the first general store and two log homes on the east bank of the Nooksack River, one of which, the Parker House, is now located in Pioneer Park and has been beautifully restored. The first doctor to arrive in Ferndale, Dr. A.W. Thornton, soon constructed his clinic and a drugstore, and William Sisson relocated from Whatcom to construct another general store. The third largest settlement in Whatcom County by 1882 was Ferndale. By the end of the year, the new city's core had been established with a hotel, two saloons, a post office, a cannery, and a sawmill. Billy Clark's ferry license had been purchased by Darius Rogers in 1880, and a scow ferry was constructed by him the following year. Together with Sisson, Thornton, and others, including John Hardin, who had moved to Barrett Lake to the northeast of Ferndale in 1874, he also later acquired the steamboat Gazelle in 1882. The steamboat business was poorly managed by Rogers, though. The gazelle was dragged out of the Nooksack, underwent some extensive repairs and refits, and then would be used for just a few more journeys along the Nooksack. However, Rogers seemed to lose interest in the project and sold the boat in a deal without involving any of his other partners. This pissed them off, and rightfully so, and after legal proceedings, John Hardin received the scow ferry and all of Rogers' land on the east bank of the river as a settlement in late 1882. It appears that Rogers lost his own land on the east side at the same time he took over Billy Clark's land claim on the west side of the river. The rivalry between Rogers and Hardin had already started, and it would eventually result in a struggle between east and west Ferndale for supremacy. On the west side, Rogers gave the Methodist Church four acres of property in a cedar grove and a portion of his land on what is now First Street for a campground which later became known as Pioneer Park. A section of the west side was platted as Ferndale when he recruited John Tennant. Soon after, businesses from the east shore moved over to the other side of the river. After opening a post office in the former general store of the Rogers brothers, Hardin recruited Tennant to plat and document his town site at East Ferndale. 
The strangeness of having two post offices across the river from each other did not escape the government's attention for long, and East Ferndale's post office was ordered to be shuttered. Rogers had earlier established a post office in a general store at West Ferndale. This made it evident that West Ferndale had won the conflict, helped along by the East Side's hotels lost to a fire and the migration of other companies to the opposite side of the Nooksack. After the railroad arrived in 1891, there briefly existed a third distinct neighborhood within the city which was known as New Ferndale, mainly because the train depot, freight station, and warehouses were all situated on a sizable plot of land to the north and west of Ferndale. The construction of the road that followed the historic Native American track from Semiamu to Bellingham Bay started in 1875, but it never really took off, possibly because attention was diverted to removing the big jam in the Nooksack River. Billy Clark had gotten his ferry license to transport people over the river segment that year because of the anticipated increase in traffic on better roads. As a result of local residents' effort and the lack of government financing, the road was gradually being improved after Darius Rogers took control of the license and land at Clark's Crossing and John Hardin later bought both in 1882, the ferry industry grew more and more into an essential component of transportation. But as the trains arrived, things quickly started to change. Residents of Ferndale came together in 1888 to erect a new bridge across the river from the northeast diagonal route after it had been damaged by fire the previous year. It was replaced in a single day. It measured 12 feet wide by 80 feet long by 14 feet high. Hardin's Ferry started to lose customers as a result of the footbridges that were erected in 1890 to prepare for the railroad. The Great Northern Railroad had stopped objecting to foot traffic by the time the first train crossed the Nooksack into Ferndale on the 11th of October 1891 and it had also installed planks on the ties to make crossings easier. Around 1893, Hardin stopped operating his ferry company completely. The 70s were the days of the canoe and packer, wrote Ferndale author P.R. Jeffcott in his book Nooksack Tales and Trails. The 80s heralded and developed the steamboat to its greatest degree of usefulness, while the 90s opened the wagon roads to freight and stage transportation and laid the foundation for today's rapid transit. Ferndale was ready to take advantage of the opportunities provided by the river and train transit of its plentiful wood products, fresh vegetables, and dairy. The shingle ruled supreme in the Nooksack Valley between 1892 and 1900. Ferndale's riverside was lined with sawmills. The valley's dairy and produce farmers were encouraged to start exporting their products and the region's abundant wood resources, including timber and shingles, were shipped far and wide by river and train. The cannery and condensory industries flourished because there were between 30 and 40 orchards within a four-mile radius of Ferndale. The town prospered despite the Panic of 1893 and fires that damaged a number of structures in 1894 because of its strong agricultural and industrial economic basis its population continued to grow as well. The already settled citizens from all over the country and overseas were joined in 1895 by a sizable colony of settlers from Kansas. By this time, Congregational, Methodist, Catholic, and Baptist congregations were represented in the churches inside the city limits of Ferndale, earning the community the nickname Village of Churches. With a population of roughly 1,200, Ferndale was known as a center for the manufacture of lumber by 1900, and by 1926, it had developed into a hub of the dairy and poultry industries as well. The residents of Ferndale have always valued maintaining the region's rich history, and this practice has persisted through to the present. The Whatcom County Old Settlers Association was established in 1895 to pay tribute to the county's early settlers, and the following year it hosted its inaugural celebration at Birch Bay. 
The group founded Pioneer Park in 1901 at the Methodist campground, which was built on land donated by Darius Rogers in 1882. The association later bought Pioneer Park in 1902. Since then, the group has had its annual picnic here during Pioneer Days and given the Silver Netterer Loving Cup, which has a crammed display of names etched on it, to the oldest living settler to preserve for the coming year. The Netterer Loving Cup was handed to Phoebe Goodell Judson on the 19th of August, 1924, according to the Bellingham Revelay. Goodell Judson was quoted by the Bellingham Revelay as stating, we, who can appreciate this emblem of all that is perfect, pure, and good more than the pioneers who crossed the plains years ago in the old-time emigrant wagons that were not capable of carrying but a few comforts that we enjoy today? Our outfit was indeed very meager. Food soon became dry and stale and we longed for vegetables and fresh fruit, but these were the least of our troubles. But why mention the fear and hardships we endured while crossing the plains now that they are all ended and seem more like dreams or illusions than the reality? Divine love landed us safely in the promised land of Washington Territory. Here we have lived so long surrounded by snow-capped mountains and, and picturesque scenery in this grand country and mild climate that we are now ready to press forward. The biggest collection of cedar slab log cabins from the 19th century, assembled from all across Whatcom County, is now housed in Pioneer Park. Thirteen cabins were relocated between 1940 and 1989 from various locations, some dismantled, others towed, all save the final cabin purchased were gifts. The Pioneer Headquarters, the site's 14th building, was erected in 1926. The park was given to the city of Ferndale by the Old Settlers Association in 1972, and the Ferndale Heritage Society was established in 1994 to work with the city in maintaining and displaying the cabins by leading tours and holding events that highlight pioneer life in 19th century Whatcom County. The cabins are decorated with antiques that harken back to the time of the first settlers, including furniture, clothing, tools, kitchenware, photos, and other memorabilia from the bygone era. The earliest settled land in the region is preserved at Tennant Lake Park Interpretive Center and Fragrance Garden. Soon after John Tennant and his wife Clara settled there in 1859, he made significant modifications to the farm, earning it notoriety for its blooded stock, fruits, and flowers. Tennant continued his horticulture efforts and developed his knowledge of animal husbandry in 1872 while also constructing a frame home that served as the venue for neighborhood celebrations. The Nielsen Farm has since been transformed into an informative center that offers kids hands-on activities and information about the local wetlands ecosystem. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Whatcom County Parks and Recreation Department share management of the park today. The third significant historical location that pays homage to a pioneering resident of the Ferndale region is Hovander Homestead Park. Hacken Hovander, a pioneering Swedish architect, moved his family to a 60-acre farm on the east side of the Nooksack River in 1898. By 1903, he had finished a two-story house with Scandinavian design features that was filled with authentic objects from his native country. One of the biggest wooden barns in the county is a 60-foot-tall structure that was finished in 1911 and has since been excellently preserved. The home still has all of its original architectural features, as well as some furnishings, flooring, and original cabinetry. The Whatcom County Parks and Recreation Department bought it in 1969 and it was dedicated in 1971. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1974, and in 1978, it received the President's Medal from the National Trust for Historic Preservation. 
With the number of story poles erected across the city and along Lummy View Drive, Ferndale also pays homage to the Native American heritage of the area and the long-standing connections between settlers and the Lummy Nation. The House of Tears carvers from the Lummi Nation carved three story poles that tell stories about the Nooksack River on the west bank of the river in Centennial Riverwalk Park. One of the poles, Lummi helping settlers around Big Log Jam, shows a Lummi packer holding a shovel-nosed river canoe with two settlers to represent the assistance the Lummi people provided the settlers as they portaged around the Big Jam. Many of Ferndale's downtown buildings have murals on them that depict the city's history, its many cultures, and industries. These murals include ones of Pioneer Park, a Mexican cantina, a city scene from the start of the 20th century, and scenes from back on the farm as well as other city scenes. Throughout the 20th century, Ferndale's economy grew, banks established themselves there, and the city made investments in its bright future. It spent $30,000 in 1909, more than $800,000 in today's money, on a filtering system to clean the Nooksack River, which supplied the town with its drinking water. A new high school would be constructed in 1910, followed by an extension five years later. Greater Ferndale Township's population was 2,179 according to census data in 1920, making it the largest in Whatcom County at the time, but specifically within the city limits, the population only numbered 759. The city's population increased to roughly 1,206 years later. Three churches, the Swedish Baptist, the United Lutheran, and the Lutheran Free, held services in the Swedish language at this point for the local Swedish population of Ferndale. The greatest industry was the Ferndale Canning Company, which exported poultry and dairy products in addition to sending Ferndale produce around the world. The Carnation Milk Products Company was another highly successful company. Every fifth man and every fifth woman riding or strolling across the bridge will receive a cigar for the man and a candy bar for the woman, the Ferndale record reported in 1931 to commemorate the opening of the new bridge. In 1949, the third bridge over the Nooksack River was officially opened and it is still in service to this day. New inhabitants who worked in Bellingham were drawn to the city once Interstate 5 was completed in 1970. An oil refinery and an aluminum smelter were developed in the region, creating jobs and promoting further population growth for the town of Ferndale. The Lummi Nation launched a casino in 1991, and two additions later, the hotel, casino, and spa are as popular as ever with both locals and tourists. Ferndale, which has a population of approximately 11,080, commemorates the nickname Gem of the Nooksack bestowed upon it by Lottie Roder Roth in 1926 while also looking to the future with its current motto, the City of Opportunity. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a 5-star review and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Doing so really helps the show to grow and to expand to a new audience, so any help that you can give in that regard will be greatly appreciated. Sources for this episode include History of Whatcom County by Lottie Roder Roth, Ferndale in Prehistory, Archaeological Investigations in the Lower and Middle Nooksack Valley by Garland F. Grabert, The Center for Pacific Northwest Studies, Nooksack Tales and Trails by P.R. Jeffcott, Early History of Ferndale and Ten Mile Townships, Whatcom County, Washington by Chris Seigel, Whatcom Then and Now by Wes Ganaway and Kent Halsather, HistoryLink.org, and the Whatcom County Parks and Recreation Department website. Thank you for listening to episode 88, Ferndale, the Gem of the Nooksack. Episode 89 will be released next week. A special thanks goes out to Al Hirsch for providing the music for the podcast. If you have any questions about the show, please contact historyoftheevergreenstatepod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the History of the Evergreen State Podcast. 
And until next time, I'm your host, John C. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hull. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Jimicum and Stillicum, where spouts the gooey duck. The singing Stillaguamish and the swirling Skookum Chuck. And Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound.